Welcome to the Chris Spangle Show. Thank you so much for joining me here on the program. And today it's just me solo, uh, talking a little bit about the news and uh, covering the debate and giving you my thoughts. Uh, As usual, I'm of several minds. I know if I were on cable news, I would have to say, well, here's the rankings of the winners and losers, and here's exactly how you ought to think about it, and it benefits my side. But I'm going to kind of walk you through how I watched it. I watched it twice for you. (laughs) I spent four hours with these people who are not going to be the nominees, but... I thought it was an interesting debate, and I thought it was a little bit different than we may have seen in some past debates. There are similarities, obviously. There was a little more policy in this than normal, I think. Um, My reactions watching the first time were different than the second time. Um, Over the course of the next two days, I I rewatched it and kind of made notes for this, uh, which I know this show should have probably been out the next morning and that's when you were going to listen to it but so be it uh i think sometimes it's better to take a couple days and let things percolate so here we are um so when i'm thinking about this i think if you're judging a debate or you're judging any kind of issue or a book or whatever right you're you're using certain criteria to judge and I think people have different criteria, right? Some people, they, I think this simple, easy snap reaction for most people is, these people are all fighting. This is so dramatic. I'm not voting for any of them because they're just being mean to each other, you know, versus uh, a stoic politics that never actually existed. We, We tell ourselves certain myths about the politics of the past, especially people in the chattering class or the, uh, you know, people, historians like John Meacham, who I find to be the most insufferable person in all of history. <laughs> and, and in politics, he writes a lot of speeches for Joe Biden, and he is also the author of books on uh, who Thomas Jefferson book about power, a historian that I used to really like, but as he's gotten into politics and he's always on these Sunday shows, he's just, to me, like the definition of that, you know, what what Rush Limbaugh used to call the limousine liberal, uh, the person who loves to go to the Washington cocktail parties and fawns over people. (laughs) Uh, I just, I can't, I'm not one of those people, right? I come from a working class family. I'm I'm middle class now, right? Like, uh, well, to be fair, we started upper middle class and then became working class because of a divorce. But, um, you know, worked as a janitor for the fifteen f- first fifteen years, in addition to building this career that I have now. So I'm not one of those people. As I as I kind of try to get clients for my podcast consulting business and interact with the elite of Indianapolis, I. I'm woefully different, right? But I also don't fit in with the Oliver Anthony's out in the coal mines, you know, in rural West Virginia. Uh, And I think a lot of you who listen to me are kind of there too, right? Um, But I think those people, the John Meachams of the world, uh, why can't we have the Lincoln-Douglas debates, these serious debates about lofty ideas, when most of the debates in the 1850s were people showing up for free beer. <laughs> There's never really been a time where 
it's just been this lofty thing. Well, why can't it be like Nixon and uh, Kennedy? Well, Kennedy was stealing votes in Chicago, and Nixon broke into uh, the Democratic headquarters to keep Robert Kennedy from being president in 72, or not 72, 68. Um, no, that's not, Kennedy would have been dead. But you know what I mean, right? If you really understand history, that metric to me isn't viable, right? Like I've I've kind of come around on this a little bit. I think there's definitely certain ways that you ought to act, right? Like I have a certain approach generally that is formed by my Christian faith in how you treat other people and how you discuss ideas and how you ought to do politics, right? But I recognize not everybody's that way. And I think that is a metric that kind of comes out, right? I think if you liked Vivek and you thought Vivek did a great job with this debate, then you're probably more okay with somebody being pokey and needling and annoying because he's annoying the quote-unquote right people, right? If you're more on the scale of why can't we all just get along, why can't we have thoughtful debates, you probably hated Vivek and you liked Nikki Haley, right? So I think that's one metric that people use to judge. The second one is policy points. For me, personally, how do their policy points line up with my personal philosophy, which is libertarianism, right? So there were a lot of points in this debate that I just, I cannot believe they all want to bomb Mexico, (laughs) Right? Even Vivek, the non quote unquote non interventionist heir to the Ron Paul. Oh, he's so anti war and he wants to bomb Mexico. Okay. Uh so how do their policy prescriptions line up with mine, right? Second is likability, you know, and that's a subjective thing, right? So, you know, Chris Galt, Brian Nichols, they loved Vivek. He was so likable. Oh my gosh, everybody loved this guy. I found him to be so off putting. I did not know anything about him really. I've seen him like do a couple interviews and I've kind of seen some headlines as I do my daily news reading. Uh, but he's not somebody that like I've sat down and watched his full hour long interview with uh, Galt said to listen to the one with um, Michael Malice and Bill Maher. Right. I haven't listened to those. So I don't know really much about him. Uh, I obviously know Mike Pence. I've met Mike Pence. I know about all the rest of these people except the Governor of North Dakota, Doug Burgum, I've never seen in my life, don't know why he was there, uh, only had one good moment for me, Asa Hutchinson, who just, he's he's like a John Meacham type, who loves to be on Meet the Press, he's on cable news every day, and still thinks that that's the way to become president. Uh, <laughs> those days are long gone, right? Um, then... You know, if, you, if you're part of the base, I'm not going to... I might vote in the Republican primary just to be a little shit, but I'm not a Republican. I have no desire to be a Republican. This debate makes me not want to be a Republican. Uh, as much as I am with them fiscally, I couldn't be on more of a different planet when it comes to things like immigration, the majority of them when it comes to national security issues domestic spying, a lot of culture war stuff. I may be uh, pol- uh, like culturally conservative, personally conservative, have traditional gender roles in my marriage, but that doesn't mean that I want to use government force to have other people live that way, uh, which is obviously a huge difference uh, between the modern conservative and myself. 
Um, so, I, but I think a lot of people who are watching it because they're trying to make up their mind is that red meat, you know, is the red meat for the base that that's going to work for them, right? A person who loves Donald Trump voted for Donald Trump in two elections. They're going to have a totally different reaction versus independence. You know, if you're an independent minded person, I had one friend who's a center left independent. She loved Nikki Haley. She's the only one that answered questions, and she said, we Republicans did the wrong thing and took responsibility and was really impressed by her. The person in my life that's voted for Trump twice hated her, right? Loved Vivek because he was trying to be the the next generation Trump, right? So people judge kind of based on their priors. It's subjective to to their own kind of philosophy right and then there's politicos versus normal people right if you listen to the commentary podcast or the dispatch podcast or read uh national review if you're on the right or you know huffpo on the left and you know you're kind of a person who's engaged you knew the people going into the debate you're gonna have a totally different reaction than the people who are kind of normal like my brother who watched it who doesn't follow politics at all, doesn't listen to any political podcast, doesn't read any political news websites on a, on a daily basis, doesn't really have like a political philosophy per se, um, you know, you're going to have a different criteria with which to judge, right? So a lot of this is subjective in how we view something like this and react to it. And I think a lot of people just sort of watch this stuff and have their gut reaction and like who matches their priors. And it depends totally on their values, right? If unity and politeness is a value that you find really important, you're probably not going to like Vivek, right? Uh, You may like Tim Scott, who stayed out of the fray and tut-tutted the other candidates when they got into it. You know, if you're a person who really cares about political philosophy and less about how other people are treated, then you're probably going to like other candidates, a Chris Christie or a Vivek or whatever, right? Uh, so I don't think, but I don't think a lot of people go into it with political philosophy. I think these debates are really important because it's a time when people who don't really pay attention, it's like a touchstone, it's a a place for them to dip into the process, kind of see what's going on. But a lot of Politico people really hate them because the incentive structure is all upside down for these debates. It's, It's so much different than, I think, the... I I take the opposite approach to so many other people who have a doom and gloom outlook. I I try to think optimistically, and let's look at the points that are really good, right? So I think it's really, really positive for society that the Fox Newses of the world have not only other cable competitors, but also a lot of competitors on Rumble and YouTube and Apple Podcasts and blogs. I think it's really good that the New York Times not only has uh, to compete against all those podcasts and people like myself, uh, I think it makes them better. Just one second. Uh, My associate producer is coming in. Let's take a quick break, and I'll continue on why I am really positive about a lot of stuff. Come in, Squish. My wife is gone, and my associate producer wants to sit in here with me. 
and watch her tablet, and I said that's okay. So if you hear a little noise in the background, and it sounds like uh, uh, blippy, <laughs> just deal with it. Because I'm not going to tell my little girl to go downstairs by herself and be all alone. Because I want her right here where I can hold her hand while we do the podcast. Give, Hold my hand. Hold my hand. Come on. And if I need an icy cold water, then you can go get me one, right? Oh, yes, you can. I wipe your butt. You can get me an icy cold water. You only wipe my butt if I don't poop. <laughs> okay. She is a lawyer in training. You have no idea. It's so funny how she is a great salesperson, and she doesn't take no for an answer, and she finds logical inconsistencies and challenges you on it immediately. I'm very proud of her. Uh, my little girl is a very smart girl, and she's... Very curious. We're at four and a half, so we're asking lots of questions about the world, including theological questions that I have to go and study that I don't totally know the answer to. So it's very cute. Uh, my my little boy, he is two months now and woke me up at 7.30 smiling in my face, and it's just delightful. Lovely, lovely family time. My wife is the goat for having to... Really take care of him constantly. If you have had a newborn, you understand, like, he can't be away from me for more... He can't be away from her for more than 10 minutes uh, if he's a little grumpy. But he just loves his mama, like I do. And he looks exactly like me. If you haven't gone to my Instagram, see Spangled, then go check that out. Because uh, it is scary how much he looks like me. And much to her family's chagrin, what is that about... When you have a kid, the families really are like, there's a weird point of pride. Maybe this is just, you know, families in the Midwest from Germanic dissension, but there's like a weird point of pride if the if the kid looks like the family or not. Uh, and a little bit of disowning, I think, if they don't, right? So a little bit of shunning if that kid is handsome like their dad. Uh, not commentating on my in-laws at all. Sorry, I just needed a drink of water here. Um, anyways, so where was I? Um, yeah, so I think there's a lot of different reasons why people kind of look at this stuff and how they judge it and what they go into it. And what I'm going to do is kind of walk through the debate and play some parts, both short and long, for you. So you don't have to go watch it. You can just get kind of the... The important parts as edited through my lens. Um, and I apologize if I was starting into something that was interesting and, and teased it before the break. I should have written it down because I completely forgot what I was talking about. But here's my overall impression of this debate. Uh, I think it was actually a policy debate kind of hidden behind the gotcha moments. Um, and I think that's so something that the campaigns may have figured out. That Fox may have figured out. Obviously, you know, if you're in a broadcasting world, you want to start with the thing that is going to... You're, you have the most people watching at the beginning. Most people are listening to, the, to this right now, and 40, 20, 40% of you will not be listening at the very end of this podcast, right? That's just how it works. If you're looking at a clip on TikTok, you know, you're watching the first three seconds and then swiping for most things, which the only time I'm going to touch on the Trump thing... Because Trump tried to counter-program with Tucker on Twitter and keeps crowing about how he had 200 million this, 200 million that. 
Um, as Hannah Cox pointed out on Twitter, 115 million people watch the Super Bowl. So maybe 220 million have seen the first two seconds, which is, I think it's two to three seconds for most of these platforms to, to get count as a view. It doesn't mean that you consumed it. I am a viewer, technically, of this Tucker debate, but I didn't watch any of it. I don't know anything about it. The only clip that I saw from it was a very true clip, which made sense from Trump's point of view. Why would I go debate these losers? They're not going to be president anyways. Why go be put, beat, up, beat up by them for two hours? Fair. I, I totally understand that. But I think missing the debate was a, a crucial mistake because... Trump still thinks he can control the news cycle. He still thinks that if he puts it out on Truth Social, that he's going to tip the news in a certain direction. And, you know, we have we have reached a point where there's a lot of different points of view. There's a lot of different ways to consume information. It's not like 2016, where there's still had some measure. This is what always... Uh, and this is why I don't think... You saw a lot of beating up on the media, the mainstream media. I just don't think they have the same power anymore. If you're here in Indianapolis, nobody reads the Indianapolis Star. They may read the IBJ, the Indianapolis <laughs> Business Journal, or the Indianapolis Recorder, which has way better news than the Indy Star, the Gannett product here, the Heritage, the record newspaper of Indiana. I don't know anybody that shares Indy Star stuff. They share more of the TV news stations because they're more built for virality on social media and kind of do more clickbaity stuff than the than the newspaper. But Rob Kendall over at WIBC, our friend, has way more people reading his social media and listening to him every day now than whoever the person is that writes the political. Uh, I don't even know who it is who writes the political commentary over at the Star and their op opinion. You know, used to be a big deal to be the opinion columnist. So I don't know that that necessarily means much. I, I didn't see a lot of beating up on the mainstream media last night because they're just not as relevant as they were 10 years ago. So the idea that somehow the media is all controlling when people are constantly beating up on how unfair the media is... I just kind of roll my eyes now because Ben Shapiro has as much clout within half the country as the New York Times does. Uh, and there's a lot of different pockets. You know your kids or your nephews or nieces or whatever who are, who are in their teens and are a generation younger than you. There are people who are uber, uber famous that you've never heard of now. You know, 40 years ago, you could map that out. Who was the most, you know, everybody knows Betty White and Bob Hope, right? <clears throat> um, to me, 40 years ago is still the 60s in my brain. But, you know, the the reality is everything now is, you know, it used to be built for news clips on CNN or whatever, and that's how people got their information. That's not how it works anymore. Now it's Twitter clips, it's Instagram clips, and everything's 15 to 60 seconds. Um, and I think the beginning of this debate was front-loaded with that. Uh, I don't know why... I mean, Fox News did their best to set Ron DeSantis up. There's no doubt that Robert Murdoch, he has made it perfectly clear he hates Trump, he doesn't want Trump to be the nominee. Um, oh, long story short on the Trump thing, I just didn't see anybody talking about it. I didn't see many people sharing clips. 
I mean, I realized 24 hours later that I hadn't seen anybody in my feed talking about it, which is fairly Trumpy because most of my feeds come from, especially Facebook, my time and talk radio. It comes from my red state friends and family and high school friends. It comes from libertarians. Uh, it's, it's inordinately predisposed towards Trumpism. And I didn't see anybody talking about it, but tons of people talking about this debate. Um, and so I think, you know, Trump kind of going, oh, well, I got 200 million. I just don't think people engaged in it. Nobody was talking about it. I asked the other more conservative members of the, the wall of if they were seeing it, nobody was talking about it. Uh, Trump just does not have the ability to counter program the news the way that he did when he was on social media. And he knows it, which is why when he got arrested the other day, he tweeted for the first time since 2020. Uh, and then it got tons of news because that's where all the news people are. I think people make the mistake of judging their online world for reality when they fail to realize that their online reality is not the world. Their online, even though you are looking at a dashboard of thousands of people and their opinions, it does not necessarily mean, hey baby, don't hum. Knowing that, um, I, I, I didn't realize it until I started really thinking about it. I was initially, like, my first run of this watching it, I watched it like most people. I had open Twitter, I had open social media, and I was existing in that world, right? And then when you get out there and start talking to people in real life and online, everybody has their different perceptions, everybody has their own little information silos, and the one thing that kind of reaches across those silos is clips that are retweeted, reshared, um, you know, sent to stories, shared on Facebook, whatever, right? And those little clips add up to millions of impressions and views, far more than pe- than, than watches the debates, right? So, you know, Chris Christie calling Vivek Obama and then him saying, why didn't you hug Obama? That's seen way more than the actual policy discussion in the second hour. You know, so my first run viewing of this was kind of shaped by those gotcha moments and what everybody else was saying online. And uh, and to me, my impression of the debate was like very poor. Nobody answered the questions. Everybody was fighting. There wasn't really substantive conversation other than Nikki Haley kind of answering questions. But when I went back and rewatched it over a couple days the second time and took my time and was thoughtful about it and making notes, really only that first 30 minutes was hostile. Uh, The second half, especially, was an actual policy debate, which we'll kind of highlight. So, you know, that impression of how the debate goes, kind of, most people don't ever go back and watch the second, a second time, right? So, all these candidates are trying to get out their opening statements that they've uh, impressed. They're trying to get, you saw the DeSantis memo that leaked, maybe, you know, hit Joe Biden and the media three to five times, be mean to Vivek, tell Chris Christie he's, you know, a bootlicker for Trump. You know, they all have goals. I've done debate prep. I've done debate prep against Mike Pence, actually, in 2012. Mike Pence is one of the most skilled debaters I've ever seen in my life. Uh, and it really showed, which is why he got the most time. If you look at how long each candidate got to speak, it was Mike Pence who actually got to speak the most. 
Uh, he, let's see, let's look at the breakdown here. Mike Pence, 12 minutes. Vivek, 11. Chris Christie, 11. DeSantis, 10. Nikki Haley, 8 minutes. Tim Scott, 7 minutes. Doug Burgum, 7 minutes. Asa Hutchinson, 7 minutes. The reason Pence, Vivek, Christie are all in the back, up at the front, is because they throw elbows. And they knew, Vivek knew, Pence knew, that if you invoke and provoke the other people, not only does that get you clipped out for breaking News 9-11's Twitter account to 3 million people or whatever, uh, and uh, to YouTube channels, it's it also gets you more time to make more... Because if you say their name, Pence and Vivek did a great job of gaming the debate... Be, they're really the same person, and I'll illustrate this a little more, but Pence and Vivek are the same person, the same personality, just for different generations uh, and targeting different audiences. But if you look at the bottom of the scale, Nikki, Tim, Doug, Asa, they're not poking. They're trying to be the stoic, why can't we all get along candidates? And that's why Mike Pence got almost twice the amount that Asa Hutchinson did. You know, so Mike Pence has done this long enough. He doesn't get rattled. You watch it. He never got rattled. He 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 gives his schoolmarm frown a couple times, but then he, you know what, Vivek? I think we're strong enough as a nation to blah blah blah. You know, Mike Pence speaks like George Bush, but without the charm. Uh, and everything he says sounds like it was scripted for a Republican West Wing. That's what drove me crazy in the debates and the campaign in 2012 when Rupert ran against him, is you can't ever get Pence to talk about anything other than what Pence wants to talk about. You ask him a question, you know, for instance, he was asked a question about, you know, why does your administration, why do you think you should run again when you lock down the country and wrote two stimulus bills? And he goes, you know what, that's a, that's a good question. That's a fair question. I just think it's terrible that Democrats said defund the police in 2020. And you're like, you you acknowledged the question. You said it was a good question. And then you didn't answer it. You talked about something else. You know, he's just very skilled um, at, at debating and kind of giving his message across. The problem is for both him and Vivek, they're so obviously trying to do it that it becomes cringe after a while. Uh, which we'll point out, like, you know, they're trying to get you to think a certain way about them. And that's inauthentic. And that's very frustrating. You know, Ron DeSantis has some of that too, right? Like Doug Burgum isn't a good politician like that, right? Doug Burgum is just Doug Burgum, the governor of North Dakota, just being on stage, being a regular dude, broke his leg, blah, 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 right? Like, I don't know, he's just sort of a nothing burger, right? Um, so, uh, you know, but the Fox News organization favors Ron DeSantis, which is why they, uh, really teed up the beginning of this for Ron DeSantis. You know, they start with the, the Richmond of North Richmond, the song by Oliver Anthony, who looks like my brother, (laughs) looks like me. 
Uh, my boss at Bob and Tom wants us to do a parody with me singing it because it's it's like when it first started popping up, I was freaked out how much this guy looked like me. Uh, and his first name's Chris, too. So if any of you out there know him, I'd love to interview him and talk to him just because we are ginger brothers uh, in arms against the the rich men of North Richmond. Um, and I think he's an interesting person. I, I think th- I, the phenomenon, I'd love to talk to him about this, the phenomenon of being used. Because what happens when somebody like this pops up, let's take a Rittenhouse, somebody whose arc we already know. Rittenhouse is just existing in the world as Kyle Rittenhouse and then becomes a flashpoint. Uh, much different what he did than singing a song that connects with people. Um, but, you know, Rittenhouse becomes this polarizing figure and then cashes in and goes all in on being the guy of the right, showing up, taking checks, speaking at conventions, you know, fighting the libs, making them cry, where Oliver Anthony said, I can't believe they used my song. These politicians are, you know, it's ridiculous that they think that they can get away with let me just pull up the thing. Let me just pause here and I'll pull the video up because I really like that he said, who who do these people think that they are trying to use my song and my moment when they are the problem? Uh, I loved that he said that. I think that he's exactly right in that Republicans bear no responsibility. Some you know, centrist liberal people were like, oh, I, I saw Occupy Wall Street talking about it. Uh, oh, he's on our side. And that's not what he was saying in this clip. He is saying, uh, who do you think that you are? You're not going to get away with not having culpability. All right. So I tried to find the video. I don't know if he pulled it down or what, um, but... I do have the quote because I saw Occupy Democrats sharing it, which I then pulled and shared. And it got misconstrued, too. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, you know, the dollar ain't You know, that guy, right? You've heard that song. I'm not going to play it for copyright reasons. But go check out Oliver Anthony and the Richmond of North Richmond. Um, you know, but he's kind of gotten co-opted, right? He, he's, his image has been taken up as a cause, by the right. And so now the left has to find reasons why this guy is a white supremacist secret Nazi. And, you know, and then you have to defend why you like a guy who made fun of people eating fudge rounds on welfare. And so then it just becomes like this, this fight. And he doesn't seem to be willing to engage in it, which I really like because he wants to be his own man. And maybe it's just uh, golden haired, uh, red bearded, libertarian men that just stand on principle uh but he said in a video which i tried to find on this instagram account that i shared called typical liberal uh which is a a trumpy thing and he shared it and deleted his post because it's actually being mean to republicans Um, but oliver anthony said it's aggravating so the fox news opens up with his song and they use the part where he says the S-word, which I thought was jarring and interesting that Fox News had the S-word on there. Uh, it's aggravating to see people on the conservative news try to identify with me like I'm one of them. It was funny seeing my song at the presidential debate because I wrote that song about those people, you know? That song has nothing to do with Joe Biden. Uh, and then 
Poor man. So then everybody on the left tries to pretend that he's a secret Trump supporter. And he has to go on Facebook nine hours ago and say, this will be my last post about politics on social media. I apologize for beating a dead horse, but I need to address this quote in my video earlier since it's been misquoted, misinterpreted this evening. Corporate news, big surprise, is now trying to twist me into being a Biden supporter. That song has nothing to do with Joe Biden. It's a lot bigger than Joe Biden. It's it's referencing DeSantis' response to my song. He talks about needing to get Joe Biden out as if that would automatically solve all the problems. Biden is a big part of the issue, but it runs much deeper. Richmond, north of Richmond, is about corporate-owned D.C. politicians on both sides. Though Biden's most certainly a problem, the lyrics aren't exclusively knocking Biden. It's bigger and broader than that. It's knocking the system collectively, including the corporate-owned conservative politicians that were on that stage that night. Uh, I love that. I'm all for it. I love that he's not selling out. Uh you know that he's he seems to be weathering it so far it's always interesting you just gotta wait and see man don't go on there and say look this is a this is a touchstone moment that will change the culture and everybody identifies with this song and it's just gonna change everything man uh to you know and then the people who like it's it's he's a racist secret white supremacist and i have no evidence of that it's just that my conservative friends like it i just hate all that i hate all that just the song is beautiful and powerful and touching and strikes a chord with a lot of people. And we in our society where everything is polarized just can't focus on the beauty of that and just let it be a moment. We have to try and then analyze it and use it for our own purposes. And that kind of stuff just drives me crazy. Like, it's art. Focus on it. Quit trying to force your own meaning into it. It's, it's irritating to me. But they open it up. And then play this little reel of everybody talking about how broke they are and how bad inflation is and how Joe Biden sucks. And then throw the first question to Ron DeSantis, hoping that Ron DeSantis is then going to just feel your pain, right? Ron DeSantis didn't do that. Ron DeSantis went on his opening statement and, you know, it was pretty good and it had a laundry list of things that he would do better and all the bad things that have gone on. But it was like a missed moment, and that's sort of the theme for Ron DeSantis in this debate. He sort of felt nowhere in this debate. Nobody was picking on him. He's clearly not the front runner of the second place crowd that was on that stage anymore. Otherwise, they would have been attacking him. The reason they all started attacking Vivek is because their internal polling has to show that this guy is rising in the polls. The reason is that Vivek has been really smart. He doesn't play politics like a traditional politician. He's been going on all the Rogan-centric podcasts and tilling the digital world, knowing that he could get a pop at the first debate, as opposed to going to Iowa and talking to voters at the state fair. Uh, he's That's the Trump. That's the Trump. So In so many ways, Vivek is... The rage at Vivek on that stage was palpable. Uh, and I tried to figure out why, because presumably DeSantis should be the front runner, right? They should be going after him, but they're going after Vivek. But as we'll see, they're going after him, and and, and the rage wasn't just about politics. And it, it it's like Christie and Pence and Nikki Haley at one point screaming at him, foaming at the mouth because he's non-interventionist on Ukraine. Uh, 
and and I'm really trying to think about why. And I think the reason is their fear. And I hate Trumpian politics. I am a creature of the politics of the past. I'm a creature of the Mike Pence politics, of the Chris Christie politics, uh, of Nikki Haley's politics, the politics uh, that I was raised on 20 years ago, right, where political science is a real thing, and if you do X, like knock on these many doors this many times, you'll win, because it's somewhat predictable that if you put in these right outputs and have these certain disciplines, you will get X, right? That doesn't exist anymore. And I think these people think, I, I, I recognize, because I'm also a digital creature, right? Uh, a digital native. I am also recognize that that debate has been lost. That world does not exist anymore. Uh, I have lost a fair amount of listeners because I'm just not going to engage in that style of politics and get in fights on Twitter with people who are within my, uh, you know, within my sphere to promote myself or right. Like I just like, there's a way to do it and I'm not going to do it because there, the media environment is different than it was 10 years ago. Uh, same with politics, but these people who are raising money actively engaged in the presidential politics of it think that that still works. And maybe it will, maybe it does, but I think they're counting on Trumpism and the Trumpian style of politics. And it's just a moment. And if we just get rid of Donald Trump, that will go away. And I don't think that's reality. But I think that a Vivek on stage, needlessly poking his opponents, shamelessly calling them corporate puppets, talking about Zelensky the Pope, and all these untoward, untrue, like, rude, horrible, mean things, it just, it just makes them afraid. Because that style of politics isn't going away because the youngest member on that stage, the next generation, is doing it. Well, he's standing next to a, a person who's 44, Ron DeSantis, who's doing it the old way. He's going to Iowa. He's visiting state fairs. He's at the Field of Dreams place. He's talking about the vision of the future uh, and didn't really seem to poke anybody. And it didn't hit, did it? He didn't poke anybody. He was middle of the pack in terms of speaking time. Nobody was complimenting him on his debate performance. And he had several really good moments that had really good points. I don't think I have a single clip where I'm going to play him. Because it just... Eh. Right? So I think that's part of why the rage at Vivek exists, is that it's, it's a signal that politics has changed and they're no longer on the pulse of it, especially Mike Pence, who has been a leader of the conservative movement for so long. Conservative talk radio show host here in Indiana, congressman, third most powerful in the House, vice president, and the game is just sort of passing him by. And that can be very scary and frustrating when you're in the middle of, you haven't accepted it yet. You're going through all the stages. Um, you know, so... Uh, the, the the reason none of these people answered questions, I referenced it earlier, the reason none of them actually answered the initial question and just gave opening statements is that they know the first 30 minutes, everybody's just clipping out from the debate, writing their stories for their news outlets, their, you know, people are talking about it, and then people about 45 minutes in give up, 
And so they need to get out in that first couple questions, everything that they need to say, because that's what everybody's going to watch. Uh, Fox News has not figured that out. Fox News still is operating under the assumption that these debates are watched in the traditional way where everybody sits down, watches these debates, and then takes away what they see after two hours. Uh, They are completely clueless that everybody's on Twitter watching a different debate, engaging in a different debate, and half paying attention to their debate, which is why they should have just said opening statements, you know, instead of what's your opinion on inflation? Um, and I think that's why Nikki Haley is getting so many high marks is that in that first viewing, it really felt like she was the only one actually answering the questions and kind of talking about conservative solutions to things. All right. So those are kind of my initial thoughts. Let's start diving into the debate to kind of give you my supporting evidence, uh, for some of my thesis here. Uh, let's go to... Uh, Vivek's opening statement. Vivek obviously is having his Herman Cain moment. Somebody that's sort of unknown comes in, has a good debate performance. Everybody piles on, loves the guy because he's so different. Oh my gosh, he said 999. Wow. And then gets into the media and starts getting uh, the, the media treatment. They find out that he has a mistress, right? That was Herman Cain's arc. Vivek, his... Uh, One thing that the Trump people have dug up is that Vivek was uh, trying to get Soros money on Twitter by tweeting at them. Um, You know, Vivek hasn't voted in a presidential election until the last couple of years, I think it was. He's not been a Republican. Uh, He's just sort of... I I saw libertarians that night calling him the new Ron Paul, and the only parallel is that he was getting yelled at by uh, so-called neocons... Actual neoconservatism was a, an intellectual movement, but it became a pejorative uh, post-Iraq to mean anybody who wants to intervene in militarily. Um, but he was getting yelled at because he didn't support you funding Ukraine any further. And he actually made a really good point after the debate uh, in that I don't support you funding Ukraine because I support Ukrainians, because all we're going to do is put a bunch of weapons there collapse Ukraine, a warlord will rise up, and then you're going to have a Ukrainian Osama bin Laden, and then we're going to have to fight them eventually. That is the cycle of our interventions. And I think that is an absolutely good point. I I found Vivek, who I knew not nothing but very little about, uh, in terms of policy, the stuff that he talked about as a libertarian, I liked him a lot. I liked that he was uh, more non-interventionist, uh, I liked that he said he would defund the the DEA and FBI and all the alphabet soup and get back to the Constitution. And uh, I, I thought that he he was really strong on those points. I think when you dig into what he believes, things like massive tariffs, uh, his immigration policy is obscene. There's a lot there that I don't agree with. I don't think he's the next Ron Paul. The reason Ron Paul struck a chord is that Ron Paul had a record of being Ron Paul for 30 or 40 years and had never wavered. Vivek has had some flip-flops on things like climate change is a hoax in the debate and then is on a podcast two months earlier saying climate change is uh, not a hoax. It's real. It exists, but it's not man-made, right? Maybe those are two ideas that don't conflict with each other, 
But when given the opportunity to say that in a debate, he went with the more demagogic path. And that was really what I found distasteful and gross about him, is that he was willing to distort his positions to be seen a certain way. Uh, And I don't know that I trust his positions. Like abortion, he's kind of flip-flop on that if you look into his statements two months ago versus now. I don't know that I trust that guy. So, yeah, being a bold messenger is really great. That's what you want. You want someone to come out. You you need bold messengers to come out and say, we need to end the DEA. Well, why do you want to end the DEA? Or, well, these reasons X, Y, and Z, right? Ron Paul could do that in a very effective way. We need to stop funding Ukraine. Okay, well, why do you think that? And then after the debate, he gives an amazing, I retweeted it at Chris Spangle, You can go watch Vivek's actual words. I paraphrased it pretty closely. Oh, wow. Okay, that makes sense, right? You need the bold messenger to kind of like push the debate that's happening, the consensus, a little bit further in freedom's direction. But if you're you're running for power and we're asking you to be entrusted with political power to not just push the debate further, but actually to enact... When things are really actually very difficult, do I trust you? I don't think he has the track record to be trusted. I don't think he has the track record of statements. I think he has a very ambitious personality. Uh, And so, you know, the more I look into him, the more I go, I, I just don't see the record that he has, which is something that Pence continually seized upon. He knows Vivek is rising. He knows he's going to be number two. Uh, because this is how this works. The guy that's relatively unknown comes into the debate and then pops. Happened with Fred Thompson in 08. It happened with Mike Huckabee in 08, right? You know, where they come in and then everybody has a moment, right? 2016 is totally different, you know, but when the last uh, Republican primary that is like this one, right, in terms of how the, the fallout of the debate works is 08, I met Mike Huckabee. I interviewed him. Nicest man I've ever met. I really liked him. At the time, I was not a libertarian. I was still a a Republican. And I was like, this guy's going to be the nominee. And he was, in the next month, after the next debate, the guy. Because nobody knew who Mike Huckabee was. And then he was just amiable and personable and likable and had the right statements on policy. But he just didn't have the wherewithal to kind of withstand the grind, right? That's one thing about Trump that Republicans love is the guy can grind it out and has that stick to and doesn't care. And right. Uh, so a good debate performance doesn't necessarily mean anything. So, so my, my thing about Vivek is there's, there's just gotta be a longer record, right? Like DeSantis has a track record of success in Florida. You may not agree, and there's a lot about DeSantis's governorship that I don't agree with, but he has been successful in grinding out political wins as governor. He's been tested. Mike Pence talked about how he was the most tested on that stage. That dude was like the worst governor since Ed Jackson, the Klan governor in the 20s. He couldn't grind it out. He had a glass jaw. Every time he was hit by the media, which is very mediocre here in terms of its strength and influence over the public opinion he just didn't have it he couldn't 
he couldn't succeed. He put people in place that were there for loyalty reasons, like Trump does. You know, Trump's most effective period was when he had a diverse cabinet and Mitch McConnell in the Senate kind of managing things, the axis of adults, it was called. And then by the second half, when Trump has put in loyalists, he really sucked as a president. All those wins that he wants to talk about came when the axis of adults, the deep state, were in charge. Tax cuts, you know, negotiating treaties, pulling out of things that Republicans didn't like. All that came from the axis of adults. Trump left to his own devices, 2020, loses the easiest election possible. Great economy. Nobody faulted him for COVID. It wasn't his fault, but his reaction to it was stupid. His reaction to the George Floyd stuff, stupid, and he lost an easy election, right? Um, so, you know, Pence doesn't have that stick to itness. Nikki Haley uh, was a governor, possibly, you know, but she probably would have lost in South Carolina had she been running for a third term because she took the Confederate flag uh, off the, you know, she... She rightly said, this is the right thing to do. Let's take the Confederate flag off the, the state house. And um, a lot of people think she would have lost South Carolina just because of that one act, which is sad. Um, so, so you know, all my priors of Vivek aside, um, I, I want to kind of illustrate why I found him to be a little bit... Uh, this is his opening statement. So first, let me just address a question that is on everybody's mind at home tonight. Who the heck is this skinny guy with a funny last name, and what the heck is he doing in the middle of this debate stage? I'll tell you, I'm not a politician, Brett. You're right about that. I'm an entrepreneur. My parents... All right, let me pause there and play you um, something from... Uh, it sounded familiar to people, and here's why. So first, let me just address a question that is on everybody's mind at home tonight. Who the heck is this skinny guy with a funny last name? And what the heck is he doing in the middle of this debate stage? I'll tell you, I'm not a politician. Of a mill worker's son who dares to defy the odds. The hope of a skinny kid with a funny name who believes that America has a place for him, too. This is this is the thing that I did not like about Vivek, right? He feels like Dave Rubin. Dave Rubin is a guy who sits across from legitimate members of the intellectual dark web. Like uh, the, the the two brothers, Eric and uh, what's his face, uh, you know, or Jordan Peterson, you know, and says things like those of us in the intellectual dark web as if he's a part of it and an intellectual. Right. No, you're you're clout jacking other people's uh, clout that you're interviewing because they have actual accomplishments. Right. Vivek is trying to get us to think that not only is he the next, he is the conservative movement's Obama. He's also their Ron Paul, and he's also their Trump. He's trying, you know, and, and that's why it feels demagogic, right? It feels like he's trying too hard to make you think a certain way about him in the same way that Mike Pence has always tried to make you think he's the next Ronald Reagan, you know, which you saw in his opening statements, and you'll hear in some of the stuff that I'm going to play for you. So let's get back to... Uh, Vivek's opening statement so you can hear what he has to say and you can decide for yourself. This came to this country with no money 40 years ago. I have gone on to found multi-billion dollar companies. I did it while marrying my wife, Apoorva, raising our two sons, following our faith in God, 
That is the American dream. And I am genuinely worried that that American dream will not exist for our two sons and their generation unless we do something about it. And I do think Brett is going to take an outsider because for a long time we have professional politicians in the Republican Party who have been running from something. Now is our moment to start running to something, to our vision of what it means to be an American today. If you have a broken car, you don't turn over the keys to the people who broke it again. You hand it over to a new generation to actually fix the problem. That's why I'm in this race, and we're just getting warmed up. <laughs> All, right, so you got- All right, so I, not deep, right? Not Obama-like. You know, it's time to stop running from something and start running to something. But I do think he's absolutely right. I think the the problem with the right in, in this day and age is that they are still looking backward. It's full of grievance. Uh, and there's not a lot of long-term vision th- to offer. Democrats, it's easy for them because they can just give you free stuff. Right? Joe Biden's going to get rid of your student loans, and he's going to pay for this and pay for that, right? Uh, the right has always been disadvantaged over the last hundred years because they're against something. Uh, so it, it, it's a long, hard haul to say, here's our vision for the future. It's a lot easier and deeply ingrained in the right to say, here's what we're against. Uh, so I do think his point on that is exactly right. And his point that everybody on that stage is the problem is also exactly right. They're part of uh, they're part of the problem. Is he the guy to fix it? I don't know. Um, but his diagnosis uh, a lot of times was actually very correct. Uh, but I also think you have to, it's the argument of, can you fix it from the inside or do you have to fix it from the outside, right? Is the culture, is it going to be downstream from culture or can you become president and fix everything from the inside? You know, that's why we need to vote Trump back in to fix it from the inside. And, And Trump was never the guy to fix anything. He didn't have the ability. Everything is about his own grievance, right? Um, and his own ego wounds. So he's not the guy to fix it. Uh, but can you be president and legitimately change things from inside the Republican Party? Can we elect Liberty Republicans and change it from the inside? Well, ask Justin Amash, right? We've got Thomas Massey left. Roel Labrador is gone, right? All those Liberty Republicans from 2010 that were principled libertarians, they no longer exist in the Republican Party because they got run out on a rail by the Tea Party Republicans and then the MAGA Republicans. So... I tend to think that it's it's uh, fairly impossible, but I don't begrudge people who say, well, let's elect a number of people. I, I think you've really got to start businesses and start nonprofits and, and become messengers, and that is much more effective than running for office because your incentives to run for office are to suck up to the people on that stage for 30 years to gain power and then eventually... Uh, you'll have your crack at it, right? By then, you're so compromised that uh, you've quit or you're broke or your reputation doesn't work because you're you're an irritant. You know, Rand Paul is well on his way to... Uh, look, when you support that child molester in Alabama for Senate because you're just trying to get along in the Republican Party, you compromise your own values. Um so it, it comes down to, do, do you think that there should be a libertarian president and can they fix it? What do you have to do to get to, to that point? So, well, some would argue, you know, uh, he's more libertarian than other people. Okay. But 
you can really only put your resources a certain number of places. Why would you want to put it behind a person who is untested and uh, possibly successful? I know he's grown companies and there's been some media reports that his companies are, are, are sort of like Trump's where they're a little hollow. I don't know. I don't know enough about it. But um, So next up is Nikki Haley, who had a really interesting – and I saw – some Republican friends fuming about Nikki Haley's opening statement. But this was an appeal to independence. Uh, this was Nikki Haley deciding the rational thing about this. Like, let's step out of the debate and look at the reality of this. Trump can run one more time. And what I think Nikki Haley's goal was not to win this particular election it was to, in much like Chris Christie's way, like, what are we going to do post-Trump, right? What are we going to do after this? How are we going to speak to people in 2028? Um, and so in some ways, I think Nikki Haley, you know, all everybody on the stage is kind of running in case Trump dies or drops out of the race. to turn around this economy that we've heard all of these voters talking about tonight. Then Mr. Ramaswamy, who is a successful entrepreneur nationally right now, he's beating you in the polls. Well, I don't care about polls. What I care about the fact is that no one is telling the American people the truth. The truth is that Biden didn't do this to us. Our Republicans did this to us, too. When they passed that $2.2 trillion COVID stimulus bill... They left us with 90 million people on Medicaid, 42 million people on food stamps. No one has told you how to fix it. I'll tell you how to fix it. They need to stop the spending. They need to stop the borrowing. They need to eliminate the earmarks that the Republicans brought back in. And they need to make sure they understand these are taxpayer dollars. It's not their dollars. And while they're all saying this, you have Ron DeSantis, you've got Tim Scott, you've got Mike Pence. They all voted to raise the debt. And Donald Trump added $8 trillion to our debt. And our kids are never going to forgive us for this. And so at the end of the day, you look at the 2024 budget, Republicans asked for $7.4 in earmarks. Democrats asked for $2.8 billion. So you tell me who are the big spenders. I think it's time for an accountant in the White House. All right. I agree with all that. Right? Like, the Republicans are a part of the problem. Uh, we'll start with Pence, and I'll give you his opening then uh, in a second. But yeah, uh, I I love sharing on Facebook the article. Uh, just Google Trump wants bigger stimulus Pelosi. You'll see how Trump was arguing for a bigger third stimulus than Nancy Pelosi was. Donald Trump helped architect the inflation that Joe Biden had to deal with. Yeah, all of the money he's putting for Ukraine, all of the money for his, uh, you know, his... Uh, uh, infrastructure bill all contribute to it, but it's not just a Joe Biden problem. And Donald Trump has this magic ability to get out of any consequence for his own decisions. Uh, you know, and 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 you see it now. Oh well, we need to, you know, Sean Hannity down here in the bottom left. This is weaponization of justice in America. No, it's consequences. Narcissists hate consequences, uh, and Republicans have to face consequences for being big spending people. Like I still believe in the Tea Party message of lower taxes, you know, uh, of lowering the debt, balancing the budget, 
zero-sum-based budgeting, right? Like all of these things that must be done, you know, reforming, if not intending, ending entitlements, right? All of these things need to be talked about. The most disappointing thing about this debate in an hour and 42 minutes, there was never a question on how to deal with the entitlements and how they're going to be bankrupt in 10 years. You're going to see 20% cuts to things like Social Security and Medicare because we can no longer afford them. They're no longer funded. And people are going to cry bloody murder. Like, if I'm a Republican, I wouldn't even run a candidate. I'd, like, let the Democrats be in charge when Social Security starts to default in 2032 because you're going to get blamed. Um, you know, the, the debt... We we are sending uh, – you, you want to bitch about the Ukrainian money that we're sending. It's like half of the debt service that we have. So it really – it boggles the mind how Fox News can have a Republican primary debate and never discuss the economic situation of this country and never ask a question about it because Republicans don't care about it. They're basing their questions – on what Republicans want to hear and know and polling from Republicans. Republicans do not care about the deficit debt and entitlements. They don't. If you talk about how Donald Trump has used it against DeSantis, he wants to cut your Social Security. And it's part of why DeSantis started losing in the polls, because he DeSantis is honest with the American people. You're not going to have these programs in 10 years. So... Uh, you know, it just, it's amazing how people uh, can uh, just be bamboozled. So let's hear Mike Pence. You're going to hear uh, experienced a lot. You're going to hear Mike Pence telling you what he wants you to believe about. And then Vivek interrupting him and him and interrupting him and that strategy that the two of them use together to get more time. Also groceries is a quote, major problem for them. Right. You blamed the Biden administration spending for that increase. But as vice president, your administration spent more than any prior. Seven. Listen to him not answer this question. $1.8 trillion added to the national debt, $3.5 trillion of that before COVID. So does that mean that you're part of the spending problem? Well, first off, thanks for the question. Thanks for letting me respond. No, I'm not going to answer. Administration's record. I'm incredibly proud of the record of the Trump-Pence administration. I mean, in four short years, we rebuilt our military. We revived our economy. We unleashed American energy. And we appointed three conservatives to the Supreme Court that gave the American people a new beginning for the right to life. Now, Martha, you asked earlier who's the most best prepared for this job. And I must tell you, with all due respect to all of my friends on the stage, and even to one that's probably looking on. I think unquestionably, I am the best prepared, the most tested, the most qualified and proven conservative in this race. I was a leader in the Congress of the United States. I led Indiana where we balanced budgets and had a AAA bond rating when I was governor. And Thanks to Mitch Daniels. Of the United States. We spent funding to, to backfill on the 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 military cuts of the Obama administration, and then we were there in the worst pandemic uh, in 100 years. He ran All the Fauci programs. Said, I was the first person in this race to say that we've got to deal with the long-term national debt issues. You've got people on this stage that won't even talk about issues like Social Security and Medicare. I mean, Vivek, you recently said uh, a president can't do everything. 
Well, I got news for you, Vivek. I've been in the hallway. I've been in the West Wing. A president of the United States has to confront every crisis facing America. I will put our nation back on the path to growth and prosperity and restore fiscal responsibility, just as I did in Congress and as governor Mr. Vice president. and when I was vice president. But, yeah, I mean, we've hold, yeah, hold on. Since you I was were named involved. earlier. I'm going to get Vivek first. We'll get to both of yeah, This isn't that complicated, guys. Unlock American energy. Drill, frack, burn coal, embrace nuclear. Put people back to work by no longer paying them more to stay at home. Reform the U.S. Fed, stabilize the U.S. dollar, and go to war. The only war that I will declare as U.S. president will be the war on the federal administrative state that is the source of those toxic regulations acting like a wet blanket on the economy. So I'm not sure I exactly understood Mike Pence's comment, but. Hey, you don't know who I am. Here's a laundry list of things that Republicans love, so you'll like me. I'll let you all parse that out. For me, it's pretty simple. That's something a U.S. president can do with focus, and I'll deliver on it. Let me explain it to you. Let me explain it to you, if I can. I'll go slower this time. You know, I I sometimes thought that was a little racist. But uh, anyways, I was uh, I was a House conservative (laughs) leader before it was cool. I actually pushed a deficit reduction act that was the last time we actually reduced the national debt in the United States when I was the leader of House conservatives. I balanced budgets and cut taxes when I was governor. I mean, look, Joe Biden has weakened this country at home and abroad. Let me just skip. We don't need to bring in a rookie. We don't. I mean, look. So Vivek does an annoying thing, and it's probably tactical, is that he undercuts right at the end of their statement. Uh, because if he undercuts, he can provoke them and then get more time. Because if I provoke you at the end of your statement, then you say Vivek's name, and in the rules, then Vivek gets 30 more seconds to talk. Brilliant strategy. Very good strategy. You saw a debate. You saw uh, Pence doing it too, which is why they were the top two in terms of talking. Look, Joe Biden has weakened this country at home and abroad. Now is not the time for on-the-job training. We don't need to bring in a rookie. We don't need to bring in people without experience. We need to bring thirty seconds when you have a rebuttal, okay? And and you are up, Governor DeSantis. So here's the thing: Why are we in this mess? Part of it, and a major reason, is because how this federal government handed COVID nineteen by locking down this economy. It was a mistake. It should have never happened. And in Florida, we led the country. DeSantis has kind of a I love lamp quality. Where he just runs with it, and and it's non sequiturs, and it didn't land. Lock you down. You don't take somebody like Fauci and coddle him. You bring Fauci in, you sit him down, and you say, Anthony, you are fired. That was just so obviously rehearsed. I just want to respond to Mike for one second because he invoked me back. Listen, now that everybody's gotten their memorized, pre-prepared slogans out of the way, we can actually have a real discussion now. The, the, the reality and the fact of the matter is... Like, I, I get it. You're... It's just insulting them for no reason, right? Like, it, it's... It's, it's a, a tactic that appeals to the, uh, the, the new right type guys, right? Like, we don't like Ron DeSantis, so I'm going to be mean to Ron... I'm just going to demean his point. I'm not going to engage in the substance of what Ron DeSantis just said because it was entirely correct 
and I agree with it fully, but I can't say that because I'm against him personally, and so I need some way to diminish him, and so I'll just say it was pre-scripted, right? It's it's just, it's a... I, I, it's it's one of those uh, like ad hominems or straw whatever those logical fallacies are, but it's it's very irritating for no reason. He's he loves to irritate, which is why so many of the guys that love so many of these new right thinkers love Vivek because they love people who are just dicks because they they want to be dicks and so they they can continue. To, well, look, it's just acceptable behavior. Uh. So he doesn't want a real discussion. Now that we've got our pre-prepared statements out of the way, we can have a real discussion. Well, dude, you're the one preventing the real discussion and then saying you want to have a real discussion. And I, I just don't buy it. Is that one of yours? Uh, not, not really, Mike, actually. No. We're just going to have some fun tonight. And- Pence totally calls him on it correctly, saying, did you rehearse that? Because that sounds like you rehearsed it. And the reality is you have a bunch of people, professional politicians, super PAC puppets, following slogans handed over to them by their 400-page super PACs last week. The real choice we face in this primary is this. Do you want a super PAC puppet or do you want a patriot who speaks the truth? Do you want incremental reform, which is what you're hearing about, or do you want revolution? Okay. And I stand on the side of the American revolution. All right, first of all, the dude would have a super PAC if he could. He only raised $400,000 off of this debate. Average donation, $38. That's cool. That's not how politics works now. He's right in that super PACs run everything. But I bet if you asked Vivek, do you support uh, bringing back McCain-Feingold? He'd say no, because the rolling back of McCain-Feingold and the um, the the Roberts decision in... Um, what was the the court case? I'm blanking on it right now. Uh, that's what created super PACs, and not one person on that stage would be in favor of eliminating super PACs because they would all rightly say that it matters because it's free speech, right? Who can tell a group of rich donors that they can't create super PACs? If uh, if uh, uh, you know one of these billionaires, if Jeff Bezos called up Vivek and said, I'd like to in the debate, or Elon Musk called him and said, I want to fund your campaign with a super PAC, you think that dude wouldn't take that super PAC? You know, so how can you say uh, 30 seconds before that you want a a discussion and then have a, a just a pointed silly thing, right? Like you're the, the owner and arbiter of what is true and you're the only one that wants a revolution. Like, come on, dude. It's just he comes across so full of shit and so rehearsed, and I just I I hated him. I really hated. I knew nothing about him. I just did not like him. I did not like his style. I didn't think he was. You know, I can stand a little bit of demagoguery because it's politics, but he's just so well rehearsed and prepared that it, it's like, you know, when Mike Pence invokes Jesus Christ later, it's just ugh. Control back here. We need everyone Remember? to have a moment on the economy. Yeah. I think that's fair. Can I address the COVID uh, There are two people who have not... We're going to no. get back to that. We are. Uh, there are two people who we have not heard from yet. So <laughs> I love Brett Bear. No. <laughs> uh, so let me fast forward here a little bit. There is a Young Americans for Freedom kid that, you know, what, what would you do on um, the uh, environment? Human behavior is causing...
So I thought this was interesting, all right? So it, it informs one thing in the debate later, right? These stupid, I don't know if it's stupid. Maybe it's totally correct, right? Do you agree or not agree? Everybody raise your hand thing. Some people really hate it. I think kind of a yes or no show of hands may not actually be a bad thing. Um, and so do you think man made, uh, do you think man contributes to climate change? Every person on that stage wanted to kiss Ron DeSantis on the mouth because of what he does next. Climate change. Raise your hand if you do. Look, look we're not school children. Let's have the debate. I mean, I'm happy to take it to start. <laughs> Alexander, <laughs> so do you want to raise your hand or not? I don't think that's the way to do. So let me just say to Alexander this. First of all, one of the reasons our country's decline is because of the way the corporate media treats Republicans versus Democrats. Biden was on the beach while those people were suffering. He was asked about it. He said, no comment. Are you kidding me? As somebody that's handled disasters in Florida, you've got to be activated. You've got to be there. You've got to be present. You've got to be helping people who are doing this. And here's yeah. the deal. Yeah. Let's just answer the question. So, yeah. here's, is, that is that a yes? Or is that a yes? Is that a hand raise? You do not. I think it was a hand raise for him, and it's um, my hands are in my pockets. No, no, no. I didn't raise, I didn't raise a hand. Let us be honest as Republicans. I'm the only person on the stage who isn't bought and paid for, so I can say this. The climate change oh, agenda whoa, 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 whoa. is a hoax. Just unnecessary. <laughs> but he's, he's trying to pick a fight, because if he picks a fight, he gets more time. Ridiculous. The climate change agenda is a hoax. And people who don't know the rules and don't understand the frame of the debate see, oh, he's just being mean to the people that deserve it. And he's calling climate change, oh, he's a truth teller. And we have to declare independence for it. And the reality is, the anti-carbon agenda... I thought it was interesting how hard he got booed by the crowd, which is largely Trumpy too, by the way. ...agenda is the wet blanket on our economy. And so the reality is, more people are dying of bad climate change policies... Than they are of actual climate change. Governor, Governor right, Haley, are you bought the and paid for? Is down by hold on, hold on. Listen, listen, listen. Hold on, hold on. I've had enough. I've had enough already tonight of a guy who sounds like ChatGPT standing up here. And the last person in one of these debates, Brett, who stood in the middle of this. Like, you notice if you watch this, Vivek is smiling and he takes these punches very well. Um, because it's part of his strategy, right? He knows his strategy is working. Christie is a pugilist. He's he's a New Jersey guy. He's a very good in debates. He's very good on his feet. He's very good at kind of putting together a way to prepare a case for a jury, right? Uh, and Christie knows if if he defends the honor of everybody else on the stage against this newcomer who's acting like Trump because his whole MO as a campaign is being mean to Trump, then he's going to get, he got a ton of, oh, Vivek's chat GPT clips played out there. So uh, Vivek kind of zings him back, right, uh, with the Obama hug, which I think is the dumbest reason anybody was ever canceled in politics. Chris Christie was the front runner in like 2012, I think, and then had a major storm as governor, her, uh, like a hurricane basically hit New Jersey, Hurricane Sandy, uh, Superstorm Sandy, and it like Obama came to visit, and you know he gave him the handshake, hug around the back, and that made all the ads, and it basically killed Christie's entire momentum, uh, which is just such a superficial, silly thing. Uh, but that that sort of was like a foreshadowing of how dumb American politics was about to get. Stage and said. 
what's a skinny guy with an odd last name doing up here was Barack Obama, and I'm afraid we're dealing with the same type of amateur standing on stage tonight. I, I mean, two great sparring lines, like calling him Barack Obama to a group of people who hate Barack Obama. Great. He recognized that was an Obama line. Brilliant on Christie's part. And I think Vivek very effectively neutralized it with, come give me a hug. Just same, like you did to Obama. The same type of amateur. And, and you'll help elect me just like you did to Obama, too. Give me that the same hug, type of amateur. Hey, Brad, God, hold on. Hold on. Hey, Brad, Governor Haley, would you like to respond? Deserves- Are you so, bought Brad, and paid what for? what I would like to say is the... So instead of, like, accepting the terms that Vivek just set in terms of you bought and paid for... Haley goes on to give an actual policy answer, which I thought stood out. It's one of those moments where everybody's fighting. She has kind of a good little intro here. The fact that I think this is exactly why Margaret Thatcher said, if you want something said, ask a man. If you want something done, ask a woman. Notice how all the guys are smiling because they know that was a great line. First of all, we do care about Clean air, clean water. We want to see that taken care of. But there's a right way to do it. And the right right way to do it is, first of all, yes, is climate change real? Yes, it is. But if you want to go and really change the environment, then we need to start telling China and India that they have to lower their emissions. That's where our problem is. And these green subsidies that Biden has put in... All he's done is help China because he doesn't understand all these electric vehicles that he's done. What that does, half of the batteries for electric vehicles are made in China. And so that's not helping the environment. You're putting money in China's pocket. And Biden did that. So, first of all, I think we need to acknowledge the truth, which is these subsidies are not working. We also need to take on the international world and say, okay, India and China, you've got to stop polluting. And that's when we'll start to deal with Senator Scott, are you bought and paid for? Absolutely. Are you bought and paid for? I'm sorry. <laughs> Are you bought and paid Absolutely for? not. I mean, it, it, a little Freudian there. <laughs> uh, but you see, you know, the, breaking down that answer, right? Yes, climate change is real. But then here's some red meat for the base because it's China's fault, right? So she seems like she's giving you a policy answer. She's telling you we're for all these things. We're not as bad as the media says we are. Climate change is real, but it's China's fault. So you're not going to have to give up your cars and go to an electric grid and blah, 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 right? Um, But in the moment, because it's juxtaposed against uh, the... Uh, the fighting of all the guys it in the moment feels like a very real answer. So let's skip to abortion where Mike Pence and Nikki Haley have an interesting debate. Uh, and this is where you start to see the shapes of actual debate. So we're, we're 27 minutes into this debate. We've kind of got all of the shock and awe and drama out of the way. And they start to actually get into real policy discussions with each other uh, because Vivek didn't talk well on this. So, Governor Haley, what do you say to your party and to your state, which today confirmed a six-week abortion law as well, especially the impact on women suburban voters across this country? Thank you, Martha. I am unapologetically pro-life, not because the Republican Party tells me to be, but because my husband was adopted and I had trouble having both of my children. So I'm surrounded by blessings. Having said that, we need to stop demon. That moment, I think, was the only time that any one of these candidates effectively connected with humanity. (laughs) The rest of the time was 
arguing with each other. Humanizing this issue. This is talking about the fact that unelected justices didn't need to decide something this personal because it's personal for every woman and man. Now it's been put in the hands of the people. That's great. When it comes to a federal ban, let's be honest with the American people and say it will take 60 Senate votes. It will take a majority of the House. So in order to do that, let's find consensus. Can't we all agree that we should ban late term abortions? Can't we all agree that we should encourage adoptions? Can't we all agree that doctors and nurses who don't believe in abortion shouldn't have to perform them? Can't we all agree that contraception should be available? And can't we all agree that we are not going to put a woman in jail or give her the death penalty if she gets an abortion? Let's treat this like the like a respectful issue that it is and humanize the situation and stop demonizing the situation. Okay, so there is an example of Haley trying to appeal to a lot of independent-minded people, right? I'm going to maybe take some hits from people within the Republican Party, but I'm the woman on the stage, and I'm going to beat up the Republicans, and I'm going to kind of give some consensus and concessions to the other side on abortion. Uh, Then DeSantis answers, and then uh, Pence comes in and and gives kind of an eye-rolling. But I think his... I'm going to play a lot of this for you because I think this is an interesting argument that actually has some political philosophy in it, right? Her theory is that on the federal level, let's have a conversation about it. What, you know, what, let's work with the other side a little bit. And then Pence and Tim Scott are on the other side of saying, like, no, this is a purely moral issue. And then Doug Burgum comes in and reminds them of the Constitution. So uh, that's the shape of kind of what we're playing, why it's going to be a little bit longer. And New Hampshire are going to do different. But Pence, you're shaking your head. What, well, look, what? I'm I'm not new to this cause. The After I gave my life to Jesus Christ oh my as my gosh. Lord and Savior, I opened up the book and I read, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And see, I set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life. And I knew from I'm not eye rolling the Bible, by the way. I love Jesus Christ, and I gave my life to Jesus Christ, and I love the scriptures. I just don't want a politician quoting it. On the cause of life had to be my cause. And I've been a champion for life in the Congress, a champion for life as governor and as vice president. And uh, to be honest with you, Nikki, you're my friend, but uh, consensus is the opposite of leadership. When the Supreme Court returned this question to the American people, they didn't just send it to the states only. It's not a states only issue. It's a moral issue. And I promise you, as president of the United States, the American people will have a champion for life in the Oval Office. Can't we have a minimum standard in every state in the nation that says when a baby is capable of feeling pain, an abortion cannot be allowed. A 15-week ban is an idea whose time has come. It's supported by 70% of the American people, but it's going to take unapologetic leadership, leadership that stands on principle and expresses compassion for women in crisis pregnancies. I'll do that as president of the United States. All right. So I think, you know, Pence had a very strong debate, according to to a lot of like the chattering class, the National Review types. And I think that was a moment that, you know, the the kind of the okay, all right, Pence is doing his shtick thing at the beginning. He is right. right? This is the debate that you see amongst a lot of libertarians, like how look to be leader to be in leadership. You must be bold. You can't be. 
uh, apologetically libertarian like maybe the 2020 nominee. We need somebody who's going to give a full-throated defense of liberty that's unapologetic like Ron Paul did in 2008, right? Versus people who are maybe in their local area trying to find consensus of, like, wouldn't, you know, the consensus person says, look, Vivek has a lot of problems, but he's 98% there, so why wouldn't we support him? Versus somebody who said, no, it's a moral issue, we have to support the non-aggression principle, and we shouldn't support people who aren't 98% of the way there, right? So, you know, it's the Prague radical debate, it's the Mises versus any the Gary Johnson crowd, right? It's that debate, right? They have that debate, but I think, you know, he's pointing out, look, Congress can do something too, and I'm the guy to do it, and this is the thing that Republicans care the most about, and who's got bona fides, true, like like I talked about with Vivek, like Pence has been there, he's done it, he's got actual experience, connections, that's why he was picked for the ticket with Trump, it's because he was the opposite of Trump, who had no connections or experience, and Pence is standing next to the guy that uh, got fired for recruiting for the new Trump administration, Chris Christie. He took over and filled out with a lot of heritage people, a lot of AEI people, uh, and, you know, has actual experience. Uh, Now, in terms of a national abortion ban, part of the shape of this debate is that Republicans forever have been saying it's not for the federal government to decide, it's not for the Supreme Court to decide, Roe versus Wade is usurping the power of the states, and therefore it's lawmaking and not uh, a legitimate judicial ruling, because each state has the ability to decide the abortion question. Uh, and, you know, that, that that's kind of ingrained in Republican thought. Uh, also the Constitution, right, with the Ninth and Tenth Amendment. And this is where I think somebody like Mike Pence goes off the rails, uh, you have the uh, you have the ninth and tenth amendment that says anything not explicitly in the, my reading doesn't say explicitly. I wish it did, but anything not expressed in this constitution is left to the states to decide. And Pence wants to overrule that with this debate. Um, but let's keep going and hear a little bit more about this debate. My name is seconds. So first of all, I will say it is in the hands of the people and that's where it should be. But when, when you're talking about a federal ban, be honest with the American people. We haven't honest. had 45 pro-life senators in over 100 years. So no Republican president can ban abortions any more than a Democrat president could ban all those. There's the pragmatic person coming out, right? Like, Pence, you're lying. I mean, Pence does this a lot. He gives you the laundry list of things that ought to happen but are never going to happen because they appeal to you. He is the Vivek Ramaswamy of uh, Tea Party Boomers. State laws don't make women feel like they have to decide on this issue when you know we don't have 60 Senate votes in the House. 70% of the American people support legislation. But 70% of the Senate does not. Hold on. 70% of the Senate does not. You have to be honest with the American people. Let's get Governor Bergman for one minute here. So, but the Supreme Court did overturn favor, allow abortion. And this is issue is, of course, very important, but I am on the record and I stand behind that we should not have a federal abortion ban. 
Uh, we should not. And the reason why we shouldn't is very simple. It's the 10th Amendment in the Constitution. In the con- By the way, uh, Doug Burgum pulled out a Cato pocket constitution. Classic 2010 move. Constitution, which the states created the federal government, not the other way around. It says that there were certain duties allowed to the federal government delegated to them by the states. The rest are left to the states, comma, or importantly, or to the people. We need to get back to freedom and liberty for the people in this country. Man, up until the day we... All right, so this is Senator Tim Scott kind of giving the rebuttal to the state's argument. Cannot let states like California, New York, and Illinois have abortions on demand up until the day of birth. That is immoral. It is unethical. It is wrong. We must have a president of the United States who will advocate and fight for, at the minimum, a 15-week limit. I am 100% pro-life conservative. I have a 100% pro-life record. I got to tell you, though, we must fight for life. Our Declaration of Independence says our creator gave us inalienable rights that include life. That is a list. That is an issue we must solve. We can't leave it to Illinois. We can't leave it to Minnesota. We can't leave it to Illinois. We must solve that issue with a 15-week limit at a minimum. Thank you, Senator. I think we're all pro-life. But what I would love is for someone to ask Biden and Kamala Harris, are they for 38 weeks? Are they for 39 weeks? Are they for 40 weeks? Because that's what the media needs to be asking. I thought that was the absolute best point made in the entire debate. Why? Why is the alternative? Why, ask Joe Biden when he thinks uh, pregnancy should it end at forty weeks before the baby's due when it's nine months. That's never asked, right? Um, so, and I think that's important information. Like, where's your limit, right? Um, so, you know, I'm not going to play through the crime part. Uh, I'm going to. Uh, let me see what else. So next, they go on to talk about crime. Which was another example, it's it's about minute 40, uh, another example of a great policy debate where each one of these people have different outlines for how they would deal with crime. Um, you can fast for, forward, if you want to hear those things, you, you can get to it. Uh, but they actually talked about like real policy. Again, they've kind of gotten out of the way of the, uh, you know, the, all the, nonsense i mean just sort of fighting and trying to get their talking points out and all that stuff uh then they go on you know so desantis earlier they're asked another hand raising question they start to get into kind of some lightning round stuff this one is would you support donald trump if he's a convicted felon essentially i'll I'll rewind it here so you can hear martha mccallum uh ask the question but when you're watching this video which you can see this on youtube as long as fox news doesn't cancel the copyright um Maybe I'll throw it up on Rumble, too. Uh, so that probably won't happen there. But it, you, they're asked if you would support. And everybody raises their hand. Ex- I, I'm kind of wondering if maybe there was something where they didn't hear the question. One thing you have to understand about being on a stage like this is it's incredibly difficult to hear. They may or may not have earpieces in. I doubt it. Sometimes an earpiece, an ear monitor, like I'm wearing some ear monitors in my ears right now that I can hear my board, I can hear this, you know, but I can't hear the rest of the room. 
uh, and it looks like there are some stage monitors there, then that can kind of help. So that way they can hear the actual debate. But, you know, when we go out and do live podcasts, for instance, there's no monitors, there's no earpiece. I cannot hear what the person on the other side of the table is saying. So I'm kind of wondering if like Asa and Christy and some of these other people didn't hear it. Uh, but like they're asked if they would support Trump and they all raise their hand and then kind of quickly put it down. And Christy kind of fakes that he's going, oh, it's going like this. Yes or no, which is the exact opposite of what Chris Christie's running on, which is we have to stop normalizing the behavior. Right. Uh, DeSantis doesn't raise his hand, but then looks to the left and right and then raises his hand. And so like DeSantis, all the commentators said, oh, He's he's weak on leadership because he's looking around for his answer. It doesn't seem to be his style. So I'm kind of wondering if maybe there was some sort of like hearing issue. So let's let's play it. Indicted in four different states on 91 counts. He will be processed tomorrow in Georgia at the Fulton County Jail for charges relating to the 2020 election loss. You all signed a pledge. I guess I should actually put this up for the YouTube folks. Sorry about that. To support the eventual Republican nominee. If former President Trump is convicted in a court of law, would you still support him as your party's choice? Please raise your hand if you would. So what happened there is Vivek immediately puts his hand up, then Nikki puts her hand up, then Tim Scott dominoes over, then Burgum, then DeSantis, then... Pence, then Christie, then Asa. So it's like this ripple uh, across the stage. And I don't know that they all totally heard the question because it just it seemed very odd how they all were kind of like rolling, uh, like doing the wave. Just hold on. So just to be clear, Governor Christie, you were kind of late to the game there, but no, you raised I, your I, hand. No, I'm doing this. Look, <laughs> look, I'm doing this. And I know this. you didn't. Whoa, whoa. No, come. What's the look, would, would, look, here's the here's the bottom line. Someone's got to stop normalizing this conduct. Okay? Now and now whether or not whether or not you believe that the criminal charges are right or wrong, the conduct is beneath the office of President of the United States. You know, this is the great thing about this country. Booing is allowed, but it doesn't change the truth. The best president of the 20th. All right. So then they go to Vivek and Vivek. uh, Okay. You raise your hand supporting. No, I'd like to get in and respond. Let's just speak the truth. Okay. President Trump, I believe, was the best president of the 21st century. Which is like picking the best STD, isn't it? Right? Like, but STDs are better because at least you had sex and you didn't just get screwed. And Chris Christie, honest to God, your claim that Donald Trump is motivated by vengeance and grievance would be a lot more credible if your entire campaign were not based on vengeance and grievance against one man. And if people at home want to see a bunch of people... Which is, like, so cynical, right? Because what Chris Christie... Chris Christie, the thing about Christie is he's actually very 
an independent person for a Republican, right? He's from New Jersey. Uh, that's why he's loved on all these Sunday shows. You know, he's the type of Republican that libertarians tend to hate uh, because he he can be wishy-washy. Like, he kind of hold, like Larry, he's like a Larry Hogan, who's a governor right now, who can kind of go both ways. Uh, I don't, I mean, he's am, he's quietly ambitious, but he's not like as nakedly ambitious as like a Vivac, right? Um, but Chris Christie, you know, has worked with Trump. He's fought Trump. He's Trump's friend. He talks to him. He's running against him. I, I don't know that they talk now. Uh, but, you know, Christie has has this weird space where he just kind of tells it like it is and you accept it or not. Right. So Chris Christie's not running on vengeance. I think Chris Christie, in my opinion, Chris Christie is running. Um, let's take two two. Two definitions, right? The totally self-interested, cynical definition is that Chris Christie is hoping he can uh, run, get enough press beating down Trump that he opens up a lane for himself. Or the more generous is that Chris Christie believes what he says, and he's actually running because he cares about the Constitution, and he knows all the other spineless pussies on that stage aren't going to say anything. Which he's totally correct about. Asa Hutchinson has, but who listens to Asa Hutchinson? Nobody listens to him because he's not a former official of the Trump world, right? Nobody cares what Asa Hutchinson has to say. Chris Christie knows he can get headlines, and he knows there needs to be in this debate a post-Trump, we have to move on, this guy's wrong lane in there. And Mike Pence sure as shit isn't going to do it. Ron DeSantis isn't going to do it. You know, so... So Vivek chooses the, oh, you're just purely self-interested and you're running because you're being mean to Trump and and you'll be liked by the Washington cocktail party, right? But I don't get that sense from Chris Christie. To me, he seems like a guy who says what he thinks. I don't, I don't like a lot of what he says, but he seems like a guy that actually says what he means. Um, so then these two fight. But again, it's Vivek kind of speaking up, saying what he wants to say. I'm going to pardon Trump. I'm the guy that's going to support Trump. Chris Christie sucks. Christie's going to talk about him. Then Vivek's going to interrupt and steal himself another 30 seconds. Blindly bashing Donald Trump without an iota of vision for this country. Blindly bashing. Uh, I had someone say on my Facebook page that Chris Christie's social security plan was actually good. I haven't looked. I don't know. But, you know, you're just blindly bashing Trump for no reason with no vision. Again, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not true. They could just change the channel to MSNBC right now, but I'm not running for president of MSNBC. I am running for president of the United States. We're skating on thin ice. He's just a secret liberal, guys, and he has no vision. And I'm going to say that because I know you're not going to look. And we cannot set a precedent where the party in power uses police force to indict its political opponents. It is wrong. We have to end the weaponization of justice in this country. At, during the crime discussion, Vivek says, we need more police out there on the streets. But then we don't want to police the president. <laughs> and, then, and then we want to abolish the FBI. It's just all over the map. You make me laugh because you sit, you, sit, you sit here in an answer. You sit here in an answer. Right then they boom for like 20 seconds. So let's just get through this section. Governor Christie. You, you sit here talking about how you want to stand up for the rule of law yes. and law and order. And the fact is that it can't be selective. In your book, 
you had much different things to say about Donald Trump than you're saying here tonight. That's and, not true. Well, it is very true. That is not it's true. It's very true. I read it. Because and I know. Because there's a difference between look, bad no, behavior no. and illegal behavior, way, Chris. And you as a prosecutor way, should know yeah, better. Yeah, I, you know what? I know a lot there's better. There's a difference between I bad know, behavior. And I know a lot better than you do. You've never done it like you've never done anything to try to advance the interests of this government except to put yourself forward as a candidate tonight. And here's the thing. We've stood up for law and order. I did it as U.S. attorney. I did it as governor. And I am not going to bow to anyone when we have a president of the United States who disrespects the Constitution. He said... He said, he said, he said, Martha, Martha, it's important to say that the president said, Donald Trump said, it's okay to suspend the Constitution. Now, the oath you take is to preserve, protect, and defend, not suspend. I will always stand up for our Constitution, regardless of the political pressure. We have another question. Now, now when Christie said, like, Christie was a prosecutor and... I think Christie isn't using the Constitution as a punchline like Mike Pence does. Mike Pence reveres the Constitution as a punchline and then goes to Washington and writes the Patriot Act, right? So I I think he's the type of Republican that kind of doesn't revere the Constitution. But what you're seeing between Vivek and Christie is two very different visions of government, one that goes back to the founding. You know, Christie is kind of giving you the Hamiltonian... Uh, federalist vision of uh, Washington Adams of public service. Public service is a piece of virtue. It is an important thing, doing something beyond yourself, and you're contributing to the advancement of the government of the United States, right? Whereas Vivek is saying, all that is trash. What are you doing for my personal liberty? Right, which is a very much more of a Jeffersonian view that public service only exists to advance the interest of liberty. And so that distinction, I think, has is just baked deep into the founding, even within how it plays out in a party where two people who probably agree on a lot are separated by their vision of public service, right? Uh, where they can't possibly be serious. Chris Christie can't possibly actually revere and understand the Constitution, despite having been a constitutional scholar and you know and a, a prosecutor. Um, you know, you're just a self-interested guy who's trying to become the Pope of MSNBC, versus you know you're just a you're a selfish person who's just doing this to advance your own interests. And not real liberty, right? So there's there is a great example in the breakdown between these two of those two visions of the country. Um, another example of you know Christie's kind of talking about the Constitution and it's important. Asa Hutchinson, you know, they go on to talk a little bit more about Trump, and Asa Hutchinson talks about the Fourteenth Amendment, how Trump can't run. Uh, and then Chris Christie kind of elaborates a little bit more, which I'm playing this because I. You know, they're running to be president of the Constitution, right? They're running to be head of the government, putting their hands on the on the Bible, saying, I'm going to protect the Constitution. This is a, a portion where basically they're all asked, did Mike Pence do the right thing? You know, and uh, uh, DeSantis kind of avoids the question in praising Mike. It was a great moment for Mike Pence because all of his competitors are there talking about how great Mike Pence is and he loves it. Uh, and then 
you know, so Chris Christie finally comes out and just says, look, he did the right thing on January 6th as vice president uh, by, you know, doing his duty and certifying the election. Here's the thing about Mike Pence that you have to understand. You know, in this debate, if you were unaware of Mike Pence, you would see him as a resolute, strong leader. His words kind of ring true and he cut taxes in Indiana. Okay, well, I got $13 back on my taxes thanks to Mike Pence. I guess it's a start. Even though you had a supermajority in the House and, and Senate here. Um, but, you know, on on this day, he, he was just a leader and he fought Donald Trump. And, you know, I'm not playing it because it's so full of crap. The dude called Dan Quayle, the former, you know, both of them knew each other. They were congressmen. Uh, actually, I think Quayle was not a congressman when Pence was a congressman. He was vice president when Pence was starting to run for Congress in the late 80s. You know, and Dan Quell, uh, who's a lawyer, says, you have no choice. Do your duty. And that's why Mike Pence did his duty. It wasn't because Mike Pence had grown a spine. He's one of the most pandering, spineless politicians you'll ever meet, right? Uh, who has accomplished some things by putting his names, name on them because they will advance his interests in growing his, uh, his stature within his community. He doesn't want to be the president of all of America. He wants to be the Pope of Republicans. Uh, so no, no love loss for Mike Pence as a politician. As a human being, everybody I know, I have some very close friends that have worked for Mike Pence. They all say he's a great man, actually believes what he says. He's not cynical. Uh, he has treated me very well every time I've met him. Very decent human being. I just have profound disagreements with how he he does politics. Uh, but so to continue on, here's Chris Christie talking about the Constitution and Mike Pence. Everybody would agree with me. Right. Right. Yeah, we're going to move on. Martha, can I answer the question? Can I get in on that? Okay. This? I'd like to answer. You, no, I've, I've already been in on it, Vice President okay. Pence. All right. I'd like to answer the question Go you ahead. asked and not give a pre-canned speech. Mike Pence stood for the Constitution, and he deserves not grudging credit. He deserves our thanks as Americans for putting his oath of office and the Constitution of the United States before personal, political, and unfair pressure. If you're not watching the video, it's a two-shot of Christie next to Pence, and Pence is... He must have been tapping the bottom of that podium because he's going, well, here's my next commercial. And the argument that we need to have in this party before we can move on to the issues that Ron talked about is we have to dispense with the person who said that we need to suspend the Constitution to put forward his political career. Mike Pence said no, and he deserves credit for it. Okay. Uh, Governor Haley, we haven't heard from you on this. Do you agree? Forward. That's exactly Trump right. Will be convicted of these threat to our country in every minute. So then Pence, these eight candidates Pence had a, a few questions on chance it. to speak, but Pence weasel. Pence and Vivek are really good at kind of butting their way in and getting thirty seconds from the moderators. Let people say what they wanted to say, and now indeed we are moving on to the subject. The of U.S. Ukraine. has committed nearly seventy-seven. Can I speak on this issue. I was. You kind did of answer. You, you answered. <laughs> Donald Trump. I'm the only candidate. On say something. Yeah. yeah. I thought we thought you were done, but you uh, no, please. I wasn't done. Well, Mike, why don't you say this? Join me yeah. in making a commitment well that on day one you would pardon... So Pence gets uh, a chance to answer, and Vivek uh, steals the time, basically. And it pisses Pence off. This is kind of funny. 
Donald Trump, I'm the only candidate on the stage who had the courage to actually say it. That is how we move our nation forward I don't know and turn the page forward. That's exactly Trump right. Will be convicted of these crimes. You should make be able to make a commitment. The same oh. justice system that was this Vivek, corrupt. The difference between you and, and me. Yeah, I, I'm not a professional actually, politician. That- so Pence basically makes a really good point, which is why do you think Donald Trump's going to be surely convicted of these crimes? He has a really good shot of getting out of all of these, all of this stuff. Uh, you know, the Georgia case is very weak. The 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 case in Manhattan is a joke, absolute joke. Uh, there's no real evidence of cons- well, there's real evidence of conspiracy in Georgia, but it's a very difficult co- case to prove with Rico. It's going to be moving very quickly. Uh, he has a pretty good lawyer. We'll do an episode on all this stuff soon. And then the Jack Smith stuff, the January 6th indictment is weak. Uh, the best one is the Mar-a-Lago case, the, you know, the, keeping all the files and obstructing justice. I think that's the one that he ought to be worried about. But that's going to take a long, long time to work its way through the system. And so Pence kind of rightly says, why do you think he's going to be, you know, uh, convicted? And then Pence goes on to talk about how he's actually done the job. And Vivek says, yeah, that's the problem, right? So choose your fighter, right? The person with experience that can get things done. That's not Mike Pence, but, uh, or Vivek, who can bring fresh ideas uh, to the office and be an independent-minded person like Trump was. That's the difference who can answer uh, a question. I've actually given pardons when I was governor of the state of Indiana. It usually follows a finding of guilt and contrition by the individual that's been convicted. So, we'll look. We'll, if- uh, yeah, is how it works, actually, by the way. The person has to give a statement of contrition to receive the pardon, which Vivek doesn't know. Uh, and so Pence knows that, which is kind of hilarious. If I'm president of the United States. We'll give fair consideration to any pardon request. But if I may, <laughs> if I may... You know, it's not about looking back at at January 2021. It's about January 20th, 2017. I put my left hand on Ronald Reagan's Bible. I raised my right hand. And I took an oath to support and defend the Constitution of the United States. And it ended with a prayer. So help me God. It was a promise that I made to the American people. But I also made it. It made it to my Heavenly Father. Every day for... All right, that's enough. I can't take it. Uh, so then they move on to Ukraine. I'm going to fast forward here and hopefully get to the right spot. Uh, and they basically say, hey, Vivek, uh, I think DeSantis gets to go first. So we're dropping in here right before Vivek uh, interrupts or answers something. But here, this is Vivek's best part of the debate and the part where he stood out. And I think Vivek understands better than any of these other uh, folks where the base is at, where the Republican Party is at. I'm not a Trump fan. I've often said that the single best thing that Donald Trump ever did was make Republicans non-interventionist again and uh, make them skeptical of military action, except for in Mexico, apparently, where they're going to just carpet bomb people without due process, which is insane. Uh, But... You know, it's made them skeptical of of military action, and I wish this country would be so much better if Democrats were like themselves in 2004 and Republicans were like themselves now. Um, but Vivek is the only one that is unapologetically um, anti-funding for Ukraine. They have another hand-raising question, and uh, who would continue support, and only Vivek raises his hand. Is there anyone on stage who would not support 
the increase of more funding to Ukraine. We would, I would not support it. Europe needs to step up. I mean, I, uh, DeSantis half-ass raises his hand and then tries to talk. I would have Europe step up and do their job. Right, Mr. Ramaswamy, you're, but you're saying you would not too, Governor DeSantis? I will have Europe to p- pull their weight. Uh, but right would, now, they're not doing you that. Would not and I think we need to do, to and I think our support should be contingent on them doing it. And I would have support in China uh, to be able to take uh, to be able to take China um, and do what we need to do with China. Vivek, who is standing next to him, instead of just standing there and letting the man answer the question, is licking his finger and putting it to the wind to see which way the wind blows. Uh, and he's standing next to him, so you can see him like clapping. And then he does the finger thing, and he's throwing DeSantis off. You can hear him kind of stuttering. It's just... Ted Cruz was so hated in 2016. I think Vivet's hated more just because of this childish stuff. Like, he's just like that dude that you knew in college who... He's antsy... I'm not saying this because of the Indian connection. He reminds me of Parks and Recs, and sorry, you know, that character, Tom, where he's just... Over the top, especially for his, his, you know, inappropriate over the topness for the moment, you know, to get attention for yourself instead of just like being a regular person. You know, I, I just let I want to know what Ron DeSantis actually thinks, because the man's not answering this question. So instead of answering the question, and maybe finally getting a straight answer out of Ron DeSantis. We've got a two-screen with Vivek because he's trying to get attention for himself to bait Ron DeSantis. China. Mr. Ramaswamy, you would not support an increase of funding to Ukraine. DeSantis wanted to punch him. And I think that this is disastrous, that we are protecting against an invasion across somebody else's border when we should use those same military resources to prevent across the invasion of our own southern border here in the United States of America. We are driving Russia further into China's hands. The Russia-China alliance is the single greatest threat we face. And I find it offensive that we have professional politicians on the stage that will make a pilgrimage to Kiev, to their Pope, Zelensky, without doing the same thing for people in Maui or the south side of Chicago or Kensington. I think that we have to put the interests of Americans first, secure our own border instead of somebody else's. And the reality is this is also... So Pence... See how they're the same? Pence talks under his answer to make sure he gets the next thing. Christie kind of did it, but Pence repeatedly did it to him. Because Pence doesn't ever really do that. I've, I mean, I've personally met him at debates, right? He, he waits for other people to answer. He's very respectful. But I've never seen Pence talk under people like that. And I think he's doing it just to throw Vivek off because Vivek's doing it to literally everyone else. Uh, you know, Pence, nobody's better in, in a debate in terms of using the rules and, and strategizing, even though he comes across as a total phony. Uh, so yeah, I mean, totally agree with Vivek's answers though. How we project strength and by making America strong at home. We heard the names. Let's, Governor Christie to- first. All right. Yeah. Look. I did go to Ukraine, and I went to Ukraine because I wanted to see for myself what Vladimir Putin's army was doing to the free Ukrainian people. And let me tell you, I want you all to look around this arena tonight and imagine that every one of these seats was filled. And if every one of them was filled, there would still be 2,500 
more children outside to make over 20,000 who have been abducted, stolen, ripped from their mothers and fathers, and brought back to Russia to be programmed to fight their own families. They have gouged out people's eyes, cut off their ears, and shot people in the back of the head, men, and then gone into those homes and raped the, the daughters and the wives who were left as widows and orphans. This is, this is the Vladimir Putin. This is the Vladimir Putin who Donald Trump called brilliant and a genius. If we don't stand up against this type of autocratic killing in the world, we will be next. All right. So Christie there makes the, if we don't fight the Russians over there, we'll fight them here, which is patently absurd and completely ridiculous. Uh, uh, (laughs) I just, it's insane. Uh, Pence then goes on to answer. He calls them communists. Vivek calls the, what is this USSR? The two of them get like another minute or so. Then Nikki Haley's answering, and I'm playing this because Nikki Haley, uh, Vivek, again, during her answer, talks under, gets annoyed, and then uh, they her hatred towards him is palpable. <laughs> it's hilarious. When you look at the situation with Russia and Ukraine, here you have a pro-American country that was invaded by a thug. So when you want to talk about what has been dynamics and name, and the problem that Vivek doesn't understand is he wants to hand Ukraine to Russia. He wants to let China eat Taiwan. He wants to go and stop funding Israel. You don't do that to friends. What you do instead is you have the backs of your friends. Ukraine is a front line of defense. Putin has said, if Russia, once Russia takes Ukraine, Poland and the Baltics are next. That's a world war. We're trying to prevent war. Look at what Putin did today. He killed Pergozin. When I was at the UN, the Russian ambassador suddenly died. This guy is a murderer, and you are choosing a murderer over, over a pro American country. First of all, first of all, first of all, Mr. Ramaswamy, you have 30 seconds. Mr. DeSant, you know, Nikki, I wish you well in your future career on the boards of Lockheed and Raytheon. But the fact of the matter, Boeing came off of it, but you've been pushing this lie. You've been pushing this lie all week, Nikki. You want to go and defund Israel? You want to Okay, let me address that. I'm glad you brought that up. I'm going to address each of those right now. This is the false lies of a professional politician. There you have it. So you the reality make America is, less safe. you have no foreign me, policy experience, and it shows. And you know what? The, the foreign policy experience that you all have shows in the pointless wars you've gotten into. After- all right. So, uh, Nikki Haley taking up his time by yelling at him, which I'm sure was cathartic for her. So then they go into lightning rounds. They they talk about uh, all all kinds of different stuff. I want to play the last clip. I'm going to play here is. The border question with Ron DeSantis, it's uh, really crazy. <laughs> uh, I don't know how people who can say, oh, I'm, um, you know, I'm non-interventionist and I'm, by the way, Asa Hutchinson wearing a, an Israel pin, uh, which is really weird. Uh, I, I just couldn't imagine going up on the stage uh, wearing an American flag pin and the flag of a different country. Um, but. Again, it, it sort of shows that Asa Hutchinson still lives kind of in 1998, right? Where he thinks that's going to sell with bases because his his base are 80 years old, right? Like, you know, you heard her accuse Ramaswamy of wanting to defund Israel. I think he wants to defund everybody, 
which is her line of attack. Oh, he wants to defund Israel because they know it plays with the 80 year old base, but they don't fundamentally get the next generation, which Vivek is trying to represent, Um, which I think he does quite effectively. Like, I think I think, you know, if he's trying to run for vice president, I think he said somewhere he absolutely would not accept it. I I don't know. Um, But I will say. Like Vivek was very Vivek is looking forward. He's looking forward to uh, when Trump can't run again, when all these geriatrics on the stage are retiring. Somebody has to pick up the mantle. And I will compliment Vivek. Like, he has done a good job. He's the first person. Like, Ron DeSantis, everybody kind of thought, well, maybe Ron DeSantis, but he's he's just, there's something about him that's off and weird. And the Trump people never really got behind him. Vivek is the first person that I've seen kind of activate different little pockets of the right uh, in a way that Trump does. And, you know, there's friends of mine who are going to vote for him in the primary that are we are libertarians. I don't get it. I don't think he's a libertarian. I don't know why you'd vote in a primary for somebody that's not very libertarian on a lot of things. Um, but that's just my principles. You know, other people have more pragmatic considerations. So, you know, but he, they, they've been on the fence, like Galt, I think has been on the fence about, uh, DeSantis and not really all for him, but he's, he's raising money for Vivek. Right. So I I just think like little things like that are an indication where Vivek is the first person that I've seen bring some passion to the Trump movement that, that other candidates have not. And maybe he can inherit that movement if it exists post Trump. I think Vivek kind of shows that maybe there is some some hope for whatever the Trump movement is, non-interventionist, aggressively uh, anti-immigrant, uh, pro-tariff, personal freedom, fight the woke. Vivek wrote a book, you know, against woke people. Um, you know, maybe there's a future for that strain of the right that can exist post-Trump. When a lot of people have thought it's just based all on personality and and Trump's character. At the same time, you can do both. Here's DeSantis Uh, and immigration. Let's go to Governor DeSantis. So as president, would you support sending U.S. special forces over the border into Mexico to take out fentanyl labs, to take out drug cartel operations? Would you support that kind of American military Yes. Yes, and I will do it on day one. Here's the thing. The cartels are... He just talked about invading Mexico. Killing tens of thousands of our fellow citizens. You want to talk about a country in decline? You have the cartels controlling a lot of part of your southern border. We have to reestablish the rule of law, and we have to defend our people. The president of the United States has got to use all available powers as commander in chief to protect our country and to protect the people. So when they're coming across, yes, we're going to use lethal force. Yes, we reserve the right to operate. How many more tens of thousands are we going to let to die? I am sick. I've met angel moms throughout. the. All right. So I I just can't tell you how insane it is that he wants to invade Mexico. Uh, so uh, little highlights through the rest of it. Uh, there's a lightning round at one twenty two thirty five. Vivek wants to force every citizen to take a test to vote, but then at a different point, 
in the debate, I think, and maybe in his closing statement, says that you know the Constitution and the Declaration happened at the same time, basically, uh, which is hilarious. And then um, you know, they, there's more fighting, and they talk education, and then there's closing statements. So uh, at one thirty-four is the closing statements. If you want to hear their final pitch, but. Uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff in there that kind of illustrates different strains and, and different thoughts. And, uh, I know this was a little bit of a longer one, but I thought it, it showed like a lot of little interesting things, not just about the personalities, but maybe a little bit of a larger view of politics today and where the right is at. So, all right. Thanks for joining me here. We really appreciate it. I thank you for being, uh, Uh, listener to The Chris Spangle Show. If you enjoyed this, please share it, and we'll talk to you again soon here on The Chris Spangle Show.